looking for a job is super can be super isolating and especially if we're going through difficult economic times and people are losing their jobs i like to think i think community is a really big part of beating that isolation beating those negative thoughts in your mind The discipline of design is now key to building great products. More and more companies are making space for it at the higher levels. More people than ever want to become designers. And most of us who already do the job want to find ways to have just a little bit more impact in our teams. Welcome to Design Meets Business. I'm Christian Vasile, and on this podcast, I bring you world-class product and design leaders who found ways to shape products, companies, and entire industries, and who are now sharing what they know with you and me. My hope is that we all get to learn from the experiences, ideas, and stories shared on this podcast, and in the process, become better designers. Today's episode is slightly different. We're changing topics a little bit from design and product leadership, and we're getting more tactical about recruitment and hiring with Tom Scott. Tom is one of the most recognizable recruiters out there, and in this chat, we talk about how to improve and benefit from your network, about player coach designers, advice about portfolio design, and his thoughts about design education. I hope you enjoy this one. Tom, welcome to Design Miss Business. I'm happy we get to chat today on the show. In three seasons of Design Miss Business, you're the first person I've brought on with a heavy background in recruitment. And while loads of design managers can give advice around hiring and getting jobs and portfolios and all of that good stuff, very few of them have the amount of experience of recruitment that you have. So if someone hasn't heard about you and you, can, you have to give them a, a brief introduction, how did you get to where you are today? Yes, thank you for the invite and it's great to be here. Yeah, I'm Tom Scott. I've been in design recruitment now for just under 10 years, I want to say. So I got into recruitment in a way that many recruiters do. They just fall into recruitment. No one, no one grows up and goes, I want to be a recruiter. I My background was in finance recruitment for maybe two months. I thought I needed a job. So I said, do this recruitment thing. And the owner of that company also owned a design recruitment business. And that's where I started to fall in love with design recruitment. <clears throat> And so from day one, I started to meet design leaders and really figure out their world. And I was more immersed in the design and just happened to be in recruitment as well. From there, I worked at a couple of agencies. And then four and a half years ago, I set up my own design recruitment business called Fearless, which then moved more into being a design consultant. So we ended up being one of the largest suppliers of BP, London Stock Exchange, Toyota, and then we also did hiring for many different companies as well, including Miro, Klarna, Wise, Fantasy, which is a very well-known design studio in the, in the US. I sold that business in April this year, started a new business called Verified in July. And the focus there is an invite-only talent network with the focus being lead ICs and above into chief design officers, board-level roles and CEOs. My belief in recruitment is a community-focused approach, always has been. So this invite-only talent network is really critical to what we're trying to do. Let's talk a bit more about that, this community-focused, this community approach. 
which if you ask me is very different than how a lot of other recruiters do their job. They just contact you when they need you and then they, that's how it works, right? So talk a bit more about community. What is your belief there? Why? And how are you putting that in practice? Ultimately, I think, uh, so how we're putting in practice on in Verified is essentially looking at it from two angles, right? With the candidate perspective, we have an invite-only talent network. So we're always looking to pull designers in that we think are a good fit. We then interview them like they're joining a company, but they're actually joining our network. Within that network, people have access to other people. So figure out peer-to-peer learning, networking, exclusive events, exclusive access to jobs. And then from the client side, what we have from the the candidates that we interview, we have a very detailed report on each candidate. So we can actually determine if they're a good fit or not, rather than, you know, you're working for, say, Miro, and you just put someone over from Figma and say, oh, they'll be a good fit because they work at the design tool, which many recruitment practices that, that occurs. But we can more focus on three things, like the design skills, product development, because I think that's super key, and then also their team approach if they're more of a, a leader culture and all that kind of good stuff how do you interview them we said there's an interview process for them to join is you personally do you have some community leads that do it so who interviews them and what would you expect if you wanted to join the community what sort of questions would you expect or what would the discussion be around so i've interviewed i interview them my team interviews them we're a small team right now because obviously we just we start in July. We have 20, 30 minutes. It's more of like, I wouldn't say it's a formal interview. It's more getting to understand their work and understand exactly what they're looking for. You're looking at any LinkedIn references or anything like this where we can figure out are they going to be a good fit or not. We really want people who are super proactive, super determined to be the best they can be in their career because ultimately they will be the best candidates for our clients because our clients are paying us to find the top one percent of designers which by the way the top one percent of designers we can talk about that later but that causes a bit of a stir on linkedin <laughs> why, why is that because <laughs> people think it's elitist and all this kind of stuff but ultimately our clients any client any company that pays a recruitment company to find the talent they want the top percentage of design is possible for that otherwise what's the point they can just put a linkedin post out and get people to apply why is this community approach the right approach to recruitment from your perspective it's very different than how everyone else does it right so this is something new why is this the right approach for you the normal the way that the recruitment industry works is the recruiters work for the companies they get paid by them so ultimately candidates and people are, yes, they are your product as such, but there's many of them. Whereas my philosophy is we nurture people, we help people, and it is it, it comes around. And I always also think that the community approach, you can scale the, the support and the advice a little bit more because if I took out 30 to 60 minutes every day to speak to a designer, to look at their portfolio, to give them advice on the job search, I I wouldn't have any time left to actually do work and make money and make a living. I've always wanted to give back. I love helping people. I love giving advice, but the community is a great way of, of hitting more people basically with that. And I also think looking for a job can be super isolating. And especially if we're going through difficult economic times and people 
are losing their jobs. I think community is a really big part of beating that isolation, beating those negative thoughts in your mind. So the community aspect is not necessarily for me to make more money in, in the business. It's more my personal approach to life. We, we human beings, we like to have human interaction. I feel like with this digital world, we've lost that anyway. So I'm trying to foster that again. There's another thing that I'm thinking about off the back of this. Obviously, community is important, not only at work, as you said, in universal life as well. There are a lot of jobs out there that never get published. First thing you do when you want to open a role is you ask your team, do you know anyone who would fit this? And that job opening might not even go out there. So I think having a strong community and being part of a network of people is something that we could be fostering a bit more, which is why I think your approach is interesting because you have this community where people get to know each other, not only on a work level, but also on a personal level. They perhaps become friends and one thing leads to another. So there's a job opening and I recommend you or you recommend me and that way you just get to explore and use this network that you have a bit more for work as well. It's not, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And also with the exclusive jobs, I think often as well, if it's like a mid-senior lead role, companies don't put it out because they get unqualified candidates. And then that whole, like, they just want to give a white glove service to five to 10 candidates. Since you've been in recruitment for so long, you probably have seen the way companies recruit designers change a couple of times over the last almost 10 years. What were some of those changes and where are we at this point in time when it comes to recruitment? Great question. I would say when I got into the industry, it was pretty standard three to four stage process. There was always a design task because I think design anyway, product does digital product design is a relatively new field in the grand scheme of life. UX as a term has only been around for 15 years, but it's been around. But So companies didn't really understand what it was, but they know they needed it. So they were like, they couldn't get that validation by looking at a portfolio. So design task was becoming more and more prominent. Then I would say probably about three to four years ago, the whole industry was kicking off around design tasks and that's not right. And as those designers that were doing the design tasks and didn't like it got into head of roles and hiring roles, they sort of removed them. So I don't really see a lot of design tasks anymore, very rare. I would say between 2020 and 2022, there was like an influx of roles. People were hiring within two stages, one week. And then 2023, there's less roles, obviously more supply. So companies are taking, in my opinion, a lot longer to hire designers and sort of want loads of choice. And I, my personal belief, it shouldn't take any longer than three weeks to hire a designer end to end. But now it's like some roles have been open for like months if you can't hire a mid-weight product designer within three months, you're doing something wrong. Three months sounds like a lot. It's, yeah. It, it, and it's not because it's not three months because it's 20 stages. It's still three, four stages. But it just is, is it because to, to someone out there who goes through a process right now and has a lot of waiting time, let's give them a little bit of light to explain why are companies right now taking so long to hire? Why I think them taking a while is sometimes they don't know what they actually want. So they interview a range of different levels, a range of maybe different skill sets. Then they 
filter through, then they go, okay, we want this, then they can change their mind. And so sometimes it could be like they're changing their mind a lot of what they actually want. Some companies like to ensure that all the candidates, so say they're interviewing five candidates, are going through the stages at the same time so they can make the decision at the end. So that can be more the delays in between the stages, not necessarily the stages. It can be the budget's not signed off, but they're interviewing. It can be they're not sure on if they need a permanent bus. There's loads of different factors. So sometimes it's good to know that it has nothing to do with you. And yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, often it's not. Often it's the internal sides around the role. Yeah. A few years ago, when it was a lot of demand, but not a lot of supply, if you were able to hire fast, you were able to hire while others, because they were too slow, they were too slow. Is that still an advantage today to hire fast or not as much as before? I would say yes, because you have a, a higher pool of candidates straight away anyway. But also it depends on where you are within projects, where you are within what you're building. So yeah, I would say there is definitely a, still an advantage. Hire quickly if you can. And Boston, the companies that hire quickly know what they want. They have budget signed off. All the stakeholders are aligned. That's, that is a company that's got their shit together. And that, for me, is a green flag for anyone that sees that. I'm like, Because I, I genuinely believe the interview process, then the onboarding process tells you a lot about the, the way that company operates. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the interview process oftentimes gives you signs around how design, not only how design is seen, but as you said, how does the company have it all together? When you join, if the interview process was long, if the role wasn't signed off, there are a lot of bureaucracy in the way in the interview process, then that's also what you can expect after you get hired. If you get hired, you can expect exactly that. You know you're just going to be on the inside, but you can expect exactly that. So let's talk portfolios, get a bit more tactical here. Obviously, a portfolio is something that is not static is not the same throughout your whole career not only because the work changes but because the requirement of the portfolio at your specific level changes as well so if we go straight from the beginning someone who is just at the beginning of their career maybe a year two years of experience what would you expect from their portfolio in order to put that in front of a company so i think for early stage designers your first design project really is your portfolio so that should be your first ux design project I think keeping it, for, this is for early stage designers, so keeping it super simple, have a decent landing page that tells you a little bit about who you are, why design, where you study, what makes you stand out, what's different. Have two to three case studies, and there's loads of advice out there, but I would say if it's a design project, obviously walk through the whole end-to-end process often talk more about what you did, not what the team did. You have to like own your your work and what you did, what mistakes did you make, what impact did you have on the team, the product team. And then at the end, what was the ROI? Is there any tangible ROI from your input? Often as an early stage designer, you're probably not going to get that much data, to be honest, but you can maybe feed into the product team you're on or something like that. And then have like links to your your socials and all that kind of stuff, any content, any volunteer work that you're doing or yes. I think an important aspect of a designer in early stage is that I've noticed a few times is 
and you've mentioned it too, but perhaps they're not able to, is the ROI of your design, right? That If you're able as a junior designer to talk about the impact you've had, I think that's very, it's a very powerful signal to give to uh, someone who's recruiting that so early on in your career, you understand the value that you can bring to the table. Now, I just want to caveat that for a second, because if you don't work in a purely growth design role where metrics are the bread and butter of what you do or what you are working based off, that's going to be very hard to do. So when we say ROI of design, it doesn't necessarily have to be conversion rate increase. It doesn't necessarily have to be hard metrics. But even saying something like, we've redesigned the navigation of our application and through usability testing, we managed to show that people could navigate faster. Something like that. It just truly doesn't have to be hard data all the time. There's this whole, te- like this whole thing in the industry at the mirror about increasing your business literacy. So even if you, even at that stage, even if you're starting to just think about design business, design business, design business, that put you in good stead for your career and discussions with more senior people who are looking at design through a business angle. And I'd say if people hire for junior roles, their expectations are also set for that junior role. They're not yeah. going to expect from someone early stage to have double conversion rates and do all of this. But they do expect, as you say, just a little, perhaps they don't expect it, but it's something that can surprise you positively, just a little bit of business literacy. If you have that early on in your career, you are really set up for success. Yeah, I agree. So that's early stage. How does that change when it comes to someone a bit more senior? I think the portfolio becomes less important. I believe it's often it's who you know in this in this, like in the recruitment world and I think you can get intros you can get interviews without having a portfolio like many of my clients don't expect to see a portfolio from say a staff I see to a chief design officer but if we're looking at a senior and lead from a portfolio I would say not just about the portfolio it's about company you've worked for the impact you've had on your resume LinkedIn profile whatever but from a portfolio perspective I'm expecting to see Again, three to four case studies. I'm expecting to see um, strong business literacy in your communication. I'm expecting to see an end-to-end process. I'm expecting to see really high-end visual design. If you're a visual designer, I'm expecting to see what the ROI was of your work. And in that ROI, I'm expecting to see actual tangible effects on the business because I think as you get more and more senior in design, you'll see your impact is actually on a business level rather than just a a navigation on a product to be honest with portfolios i i agree that we need them but i don't think they're be or an end all i think often like i said it's who you know and sometimes if you get interviews i like sometimes refer to see like raw figma files or referrals there's a lot more around it because i also believe that not many hiring managers read a portfolio end-to-end so with the portfolios i think as well in any level it's about a high level of your work and then the interview is where you go into more detail we don't need like verse script of like everything you did in that project i just think that the the key tangibles and then communicate that well and then go into detail it's like dangling the carrot right you need something to bite and then the interview is where you go from there so i think there are two interesting things here we can perhaps pull on each of these threads. The first one is, we've mentioned this earlier as well, is who you know, right? So we're going to talk a little bit later about 
working on your network and how to take advantage of that. But for now is the second thing you said, which is something that I believe and I have seen the majority of designers make a mistake on, which is they come to an interview and they present you the portfolio that you already have seen as a recruitment or as a hiring manager, someone who's hiring. Instead of saying the the job of the portfolio is to get me the interview, the job on the interview is to get me the job. Therefore, I think in the interview, I need to present something else rather than something you've already seen. You've already read the study case. What else can I give you in the presentation, in the interview? How else can I talk about this work? And it, if anything, just the fact that you're not walking me through your portfolio live with five people on the call, I think even that sets you apart a little bit in my opinion. What that's a, I, I, I actually love that. What I've personally had success with, but I've learned from others who, while I was interviewing, they've done it. And I thought, oh, this is just so brilliant. Is They come in with exactly the same piece of work that was in their portfolio. Because I kind of expect, once you've shown that to me in portfolio, I expect you to show that to me in an interview so that I can ask a few more questions. But it was a proper presentation put together with a nice narrative. And at no point did they bring up that study case. They, they've, pre- they've created different artifacts for the interview. And they walk you through that and they allow you for time to ask questions. And it's more of a conversation. It's here's what I've done. And any questions about this? How can I, can I shed some more light on this part of the process? Yeah, that's something that... I encourage people to do. I love that a lot. Yeah. And then with uh, just touching on briefly with the head of exec level, it's less of a portfolio. It's more of a presentation that you would present to an exec on what you've done in terms of building a design culture, how you've raised the bar of the business through design, uh, tangible impact on the bottom line, customer experience, and then bring metrics to that. How you built the team, are you higher, retention rates, cost savings? It's more of a presentation of you, and then you can show your team's work. So if I can play back and summarize a little bit what we just discussed. If you're early on in your career, you use your portfolio to display and to signal that you've done the work, that you know what the work is all about, that you, you do know the process, that you were able to deliver some sort of impact, even if it's not necessarily measurable, but some sort of impact through your work. The more senior you get, the more, I mean, you said the portfolio perhaps doesn't matter so much in terms of what you're presenting through it. But again, if you get the chance to come to an interview, you got to talk about the ROI of your work. You got to talk about the process. What have you done? How you solved conflicts? Perhaps have you managed stakeholders, senior stakeholders, all of that? Bring the whole package to an interview and, and be able to signal on all of these things. And as an executive or someone a bit higher up, what's important is to Talk about your impact on the team, how you've put the team together, why people like working for you and in your teams and all of that. So more of what you've done for the design team rather than in the design team. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. As well as for the leaders, how designers infuse the the business and the product strategies and what that peer, peer relationship's like across the exec team. You t- talked about network earlier and who you know, not what you know. And I'd really like to dive a bit deeper into that. Other than joining a community, like for example, yours, right? What else could someone do to improve the network in design, especially in a world where some of us are working remotely, you're not sitting shoulder to shoulder with your colleagues in an office, much harder to go for a drink after whatever people do. What can you do there to stay in touch with your network and continuously building it over your career? I think it's a great, great question. I would say 
definitely find what works for you. For the pandemic, I think everyone would have said, go to a design conference and you know get some names to put onto LinkedIn and connect and, and whatever. But what I believe is LinkedIn social media is the world we're in now for networking. And I think we've got to utilize it to the best of our abilities. I don't necessarily think it's posting content every day. A lot of people don't like doing that, but I think it's a combination of digital networking and physical. So for example, if you make a post and it hits 20, 30, 40, 50 people, that's a lot more than just one person at a physical conference. Some tangible things in that you can do is set yourself targets. So for example, five people a day that you can connect on LinkedIn and just say, hey, nice to connect, we'd love to stay in touch. And then you just foster that relationship over time. I think posting once or twice a week about your journey and design, about what you're learning, about what you think companies are doing well, what we could be improving, will then garner this attention to your profile and people will start connecting with you people will start commenting but then also you'll get the attention of potential hiring managers and people in in the industry and then also combining that with on uh, conferences as well to solidify relationships is always good i think the whole connotation of you got to build your personal brand people just see it as posting 10 times a week on linkedin i don't i see it as having an online portfolio ready to go. Your LinkedIn is really nice and clean. It's very clear what you do, connecting with the right people as well. So for example, if your end goal networking is to get a job, you need to be connecting with lead principal designers who are going to go into a head of design role in the next one, two, three years. You need to be connecting with hiring managers, but also three to five great design recruiters as well. And then just foster those relationships, make a note of who you've connected with, when and why, like what did they say? And then you can make a conscious effort to comment on their stuff as well. I think commenting on LinkedIn, not just writing posts, has been shown to boost your algorithm in LinkedIn or or whatever. I think there's some content that came out about that. But yeah, building your personal brand does not have to mean be like a content machine. I just think it's everything you do, every conversation, how you come across, how you approach people, how your LinkedIn looks, making sure you're connecting with coworkers and old coworkers. I think that's on the brand side, you're creating your own brand. I think there's an extra dimension to that, which has always been very hard for me because I am a raging introvert and I do not feel comfortable at conferences and all that. But what I've done recently is I have found smaller groups of designers or product people since moving to Portugal and through a simple site like Meetup, you get to go to a a small, intimate conversation with designers about AI and the impact of AI, whatever it may be. And I think that's something you can do because there is value in meeting someone face-to-face. Even in a digital world, I think there's just something different about meeting someone face-to-face. And that's one of the little techniques that I've done is just find smaller, intimate events like that Put yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone is not great. But after you do it a couple of times, two, three times, it starts to become a bit more normal. And you think, oh, I actually quite enjoyed this. That's, that's what I have found as someone who is just very comfortable at home for 23 hours a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And another thing is if you do prefer more one-on-one interactions, I think another thing you can do is to go to a site like ADP List and look for a mentor. And perhaps not even a mentor that, can mentor you on something specific, but perhaps even someone at your level or slightly higher up 
with whom you can foster some relationship and say, hey, I'm just looking to expand my networking design, have some interesting conversations around this and this topic. Would you be keen on catching up over a virtual coffee every once in a while? That's another thing that could also be interesting to do. Yeah, ADP list is, is great for that. I definitely agree with the smaller meetups. Uh, I went to Web Summit and that was like overwhelming, crazy, man. 7,000 people. I was like, nah, screw this. But um, I always find the best connections that I make are at like round tables um, and dinners. So yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Another thing that I you just said there, round tables and dinners. I think another idea that just popped into my head, how can you perhaps take a little bit of control of this is if you're comfortable, why don't you hold something? I'm not talking about you, Tom, but you, whoever is listening, that if you find no events around, I'm sure there are other designers around. Perhaps you're coming from a smaller city. You put something together on Meetup or on Facebook or whatever, say uh, design round table in, I don't know, Newcastle. I don't just off the top of my head, right? A small city. You can, and what I found, this actually I found something in my personal life, especially when you move to a new city, is it's much easier to just build your own group and be the person that holds uh, these events, whether you use Facebook groups or something like that to, to create these events, and then you become the core of the group rather than hoping and expecting and praying that you get invited in other groups. So you can take a little bit control of building your network as well. You don't always need to expect, wait for others to do that for you. And I think what you've said earlier is easily summarized in one sentence, which is make sure that other people are aware you exist. There's that saying, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? It's the same. If you're a designer that nobody knows about, are you going to be easy to find in a, by a recruiter or by a hiring manager? Probably not. Versus having even some small, some small brand out there, you've posted a couple of times a month, you comment, you interact with people, your name comes up time and time again. It's going to be much easier to think of you when there's a role coming up. Yeah. I think saying, I think, remember the saying now, it's not what you know, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. I love that. I think that's much better. Yeah, I love that. You uh, wrote a post some time ago about this idea of a player coach designer. And it's something that I've heard from more people recently, uh, this shift in design. Something that I would really like to hear your opinion on. Why do you think this is becoming more of a thing? And So first of all, what is it? And then why do you think it's becoming more of a thing? I've got like a football analogy I'm going to try and use about this as well. But So I think I'm seeing it a lot in 2023. And I think it's because companies are trying to get more for their money because obviously budgets are a little bit smaller and they need someone to lead a small team, but they also need someone to do the work. And at startups and scale-ups up to a certain employee number, I agree. I think you, you need to just be do everything in startups. Like you can't just have a purely people manager to manage two people. But I think when it gets to a certain size, player coaches can actually be detrimental in a way they can burn out, but also they're not giving everything to one-to-ones, to people development, to unblocking challenges for the design team that managers do. And I think it shows a, a sign of design maturity if you have people managers because they see the value in and in having them and they do unblock a lot of problems. They do foster culture and within the team, they provide sort of psychological safety to be that middle person between execs and designers. So yeah, I've seen it a lot. I think this year people managers have been less in demand. So they've had to go into being hands-on, hands-off mixture. So yeah, and I think it's good for some people to take on the extra responsibility. I do fear that 
and people burn out very quickly by becoming player coaches if it's in the wrong context. The reason I think a player coach is interesting is because it is very hard to have a role in which you only do management or in, in which you only do design. It, it, the, the, I don't think it's ever as black and white or as binary. I think there's always a little bit of an overlap there. If you're successful as an individual contributor for a lot of years, at some point in time, the question will be asked of you as to whether you're interested in moving into management or not. And at that point, you might not know. And I think some sort of a hybrid approach of a player coach would still allow you to do the work that you're so passionate about, but also to allow you to dip your toes into management and see, is that something I'm interested in? So it's very much a hybrid role that I see more and more happen, perhaps because at the time you said budgets are tighter, there's not necessarily space for people at every single level. So then you, you might have hybrids a bit. But I think player coaches are becoming more of the norm in the industry today. Are you seeing the same in, in what the companies are trying to hire for? They are, yes. And I think people want managers and leaders that can inspire by doing as well. And so when needed, they can get on the tools. But let's like the first question I ask, right, when when a company reaches out and goes, we need a player coach type person. It's like, how do you define hands-on? Do you define hands-on with like pushing pixels in Figma or is it more strategy? Is it more on the product development side, research strategy rather than visual design, pixel pushing? Because I think that's very, they're, they're very different. And I think if you want someone that can do everything and manage, that's going to be very difficult. But I think you need to define what does hands-on mean to each company and for how long and what that split is as well, because it could be like 80% people management, 20% hands-on. I do think people want to be led by people that if needed, they can kick your ass in Figma. They can inspire by doing as well, but don't always have to because they've got the team. I think in larger organizations, they're really important because there's a lot more bureaucracy. There's a lot more politics and they are often that middle person between a VP chief design officer and the team and the execs. And so the designers can focus on design. Startups don't have that bureaucracy, don't have that hierarchy. I also think there's a lot of great companies out there that design management is like a career. So if you, this is probably more away from digital product design, but if you look at companies like Philips, if you look at companies like um, Procter & Gamble, they bring people out of university to be design managers. I was speaking to a very well-known chief design officer who went into P&G as a design manager. It wasn't a designer, it was a design manager. There's different types of managers as such. There's like purely management operations around the design practice. Then there's these like coaches doing the work, leading, reporting up. I think it's it would be interesting to see how that would work out because as you said earlier, I fully agree with this. It's awesome when you're managed by someone who you know that at any point in time can go into Figma and perhaps not kick your ass anymore, but certainly hold his own way, his own or her own way together with you or help you jam or help you unblock yourself when you are looking at a design for five days and you can't see anything else. And then a person comes and says, have you considered this? Have you considered that? Someone with taste, someone who's done the work. I think it's hard to get inspired by someone who hasn't done the work. Yeah, a question to you actually being a design senior designer. Would you want to be managed by someone that's not a designer? Probably not. Yeah. I think that, that, that's even when, when you were talking about Philips and Procter & Gamble in that, that example, I was thinking I would try to put myself into the shoes of a designer being led by that person. And part of the problem 
of being managed by someone who hasn't done the work is that they don't understand the intricacies of your day-to-day. Someone who's been a designer, even if they've evolved to a different level, still understands the complexities of your job on a daily basis. While someone who comes from a completely different background might not understand why focus time is important, might not understand why cleaning up your Figma files every once in a while is an important thing for your productivity, might not understand some of these details. So I also, I'm not saying that there wouldn't be a benefit of that, but I think it would be a struggle from the perspective of, do you understand what I do on a daily basis? And also part of the job of a manager is to help you grow and lead you to growth. And how can you help me grow when you, when we just have different career paths? So I don't know, perhaps, maybe I'm not being open-minded enough about this. I don't know, but I just can't imagine it at this point in time. I think it depends on the organization. It depends if you've got design leaders that report into you that can, there's a lot of, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's player coaches and very interesting on the moment. Yeah. And I think it's becoming more of a thing. At least I'm seeing it become more of a thing with some of my friends who are on the verge of management and they're, they're not entirely sure. So then they are being given a, a player coach role for a couple of years to, to figure it out. So. I know you also have some thoughts about design education, and I have a lot of thoughts about design education, so I think let's converge over that. Uh, as far as I know, you believe that you can become a designer in three months, right? Am, am I correct? No way. <laughs> I've had the design education for me, it's, oh, it's evolved a lot. And I think as design has become this thing where you can make good money, a lot of companies know that, so they're bringing designers into the industry. 10 grand fees, all this kind of jazz. Lots of universities are adding design courses. You know, it's becoming a thing. We, we need more designers, don't get me wrong, but yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on this. Let's go in there. What do you think design education could be doing better? Slowing down in terms of boot camps, producing designers, quote unquote designers within three months is ludicrous to me. You can go to university for a couple of years and, and learn it at such more of an in-depth way. I know not as many people can go to university and have that time, money, whatever, but I think bringing people in the industry after three months, there's many problems of that. And I think the biggest one is the designer's expectations after that three months. So for example, a lot of people go to these boot camps who have been senior in, I don't know, publishing or... And some, I remember a few that were like a nanny and they've literally done this boot camp and they're like, I want 50K to go into uh, a mid-level role. I was like, no, it doesn't quite work like that. Because also my frustration with boot camps is you learn the process in one way. We both know companies don't operate like that. You, you can't go into any company and go, this is the process, this is how we're going to do it. Because it's, it can evolve. There can be, they might need a product out in one week they might need a product out in six months how are you going to adapt your process so i think that adaptability i think the um, designers ux people are not learning information architecture in the way they used to and you do at university and i think that's a huge problem i, I think the death of ia is like within ux has become really quite sad to see and i think it's sort of being overlooked because people just a bit of a sidetrack but their visual design leaders are leading UX teams. And so who don't truly understand IA, which is it's fine. But yeah, that's how we're seeing it. Also, design can change and save lives. So if you think about it from like a med tech or a cockpit on an airplane, if you design something wrong, a medical device could kill someone. And yes, we're not 
you know, designers are not doctors, not astronauts, whatever. But I think we need to respect the practice a lot more than we are. And that sort of businessification of design is this is a prop this is a real problem as to why it's becoming like that. Someone said to me, I made this post and people were think thought I was like being elitist or this kind of stuff. But I don't necessarily mind people who come into industry after three months if they're like interns or super humble about their level. It's more about the expectations post bootcamp and also the expectations that bootcamps are setting on the designers that are paying 10 and grand for three month course. So yeah, there's many factors that I disagree with. I also think we should, we're constantly learning. And then in terms of design education as well, where I also see a quite interesting gap is when you get to like mid to staff level, there's almost nothing out there for them to upskill as well. We should always be upskilling, but that's a, maybe a different topic. It's an interesting conversation. I saw, must have been a couple of months ago now, a post that went viral on the internet. I think it was on Instagram. And there was this girl who studied marketing in the US and um, she came out of school after three years or whatever a bachelor's lasts. And she was shocked that uh, nobody was taking her seriously in a job interview. And she, she was having a, a little bit of a moment where she, at some point she says, I don't understand why, because they all want experience. And hey, my education is the experience. And that is after three years of studying marketing, right? And, and after if three years of studying marketing, it's not considered experience, right? Then certainly after three months of doing a design course, you can also not think that's experience. When it comes to the curriculum, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I think the issue that I have is the expectations that they're setting that after three months, you are going to be able to get a job. And then we have these networks and we can put you in touch with people and they, they're selling it as if it's a guaranteed. And I think if people go in there thinking, hey, in these three months, you're just going to learn the basic and the fundamentals and that's it. If, but then it's a continuous learning process. If that's their approach, I think that's completely fine. There's, I think nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but, and then also the other on the other side, on the company side, I don't think a lot of companies are set up to bring in someone. So, yeah. I think that's a great point. Yeah. You know? And so, for example, if you look at this last three years, pandemic, crazy economic times. So a lot of companies are adapting. A lot of companies are downsizing. A lot of companies are having to get squeeze more out of designers, which basically means that they need people who can execute now on mission critical projects often and so early stage designers don't then we take into account remote working when i was early stage in my career i got the most benefit out of sitting next to someone more senior than me the conversations that you don't necessarily hear online and so yeah i don't think a lot of companies have set up to hire early stage designers to be honest i wrote a post a few years ago i titled it purposefully in a specific way to to get attention but I, I said don't hire junior designers the point of that was not it was not not to hire junior designers if you actually read the article it was about don't hire them unless you have a support system in place so it's literally the thing you're saying is if you're hiring a junior designer without that support system without the plan for growth it's going to be very difficult to get anything out of that person and that person will also have a terrible time because that person will struggle they without a support system it'll feel like you're just trying to swim and you're suddenly in the middle of a triathlon. So uh, if you do have the support system, which I agree, not a lot of companies do, then you can hire. But yeah, um, it's a tougher one for people early on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing that you mentioned there that I'd like to touch upon is that in these boot camps, you only learn 
the ideal process. And I think there's nothing more than, a, or maybe there are bigger red flags, but it's quite a red flag for me when someone presents a piece of work and everything goes according to plan and everything goes according to the process. I always ask questions because in 15 years of designing, I don't think I've had one larger project that went just fully according to the plan. And if you don't learn how to deal with that and how to handle that in school, then how can you expect to be able to be dropped in the middle of a company and just have impact straight away? You, you can't. You can't. Like It's like people say we follow the double diamond process. I'm telling you, a chief technical officer, a chief information officer does not care about the double diamond. So talk to them about the double diamond. They won't care. If they say we need to get this out within four weeks, but but you're saying, no, but we need four weeks of research or I'm going to freak out. It's the ideal process. No good to them. You, know, you need to learn how to adapt quickly by using different tools in your arsenal, which can only be can only be built through time. All right, Tom, we're nearing the end of the show. Let's bring this one home. I have two more questions for you. I ask everyone at the end of the show these two questions. The first one is, what is one action that you think led to your success that in one way or another perhaps separated you from some of your peers? In 2017, I committed to my director at the time. I said, I'm going to just create content and listen to the industry and create around that and build a, a network. And that was a different way at that time in recruitment. Now a lot of recruiters are posting content, but I was doing it back in 2015 or something, I think, Din. And from there, I've never really looked back. And my, my approach is very much community and content first in that sense. Did that idea come from somewhere or did you just have a shower thought? <laughs> I was on LinkedIn back in 2015 when all the UI was clunky. It, it still is, but it was like really clunky and all this kind of stuff. I was looking through it and like all the recruiters were just posting, I've got this job with, with this sort of company, this sort of price. And I was like, no one's really talking to designers about design and about the inside of like how to actually hire designers. And I just think what I like to do is I like to just give information to people that will be useful in their search and their career. And that's my role as recruiter. I'm, I'm, I'm the middle person between the company and the people. So show what happens here. I like that because the role of a recruiter is not necessarily to just post the jobs that you have available, is to put two and two together, to put a, the right profile of a designer with the right company together. And perhaps you're part of the reason why that's happening because you've been doing it for so long and you've been successful with it. A lot of people are starting to follow is that education component. Is As a designer, you might not exactly know what's going on behind the scenes. You might need a bit of help knowing how to do this or how to do that in your recruitment process. And I think someone like you and other recruiters who are sharing some of these processes is just as useful as knowing how to design your portfolio. So uh, I think a lot of people are thankful for that. And I think the other thing just really quickly is what makes me different is I've run a design consultancy and actually executed design work, led and executed and sold design work. So I understand how design operates inside. And so I have a better understanding of what will make the right designer for my clients because I know what they're doing. The other one is, what are we not talking about enough when it comes to design? Oh, man. I don't believe, as a design industry, we're talking enough to people that aren't designers. I believe we talk very much between ourselves. But if you think about how we build products and services, it's not just designers that do it to get it out to the customers. It's engineering, it's marketing, it's business, it's operations, it's product. We also need to be talking to them we're very insular as a design community. So I believe 
we need to be broadening our horizons and getting content like this and what you do out there to more people that aren't designers for them to get a bit more of an understanding of design because I believe there's the whole thing in the industry at the moment around designers need to learn business, blah, blah, blah. Great, yes, but companies need to understand design and learn design and build design literacy. They can only do that with designers talking to them about design. That's a great one. Thank you, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure. Where can people read more about you, find you, read the stuff you're writing? Where should they go? So I have a, I, obviously my LinkedIn, which I'm sure you'll put onto the show notes, have a bi-weekly newsletter and podcast as well called The Verified Insider, talking to design leaders, business leaders, and just exploring the world of digital design and business and look a bit more broadly. But LinkedIn is probably where you can catch them. We'll put all of this in the show notes as always. Tom, thank you very much for taking the time today. I appreciate you. If you've listened this far, thank you. I appreciate you and I hope you've learned something that makes you just a little bit better than yesterday. You can check out the show notes on designmeetsbusiness.co. If this has taught you anything, please consider leaving a review and sharing the episode with someone else who could learn from it. And I'll catch you in the next one.